What's good, people? It's your boy Caesar here, and this is an episode of The Hybrid Club. Hope all is good. You know where to find us on the socials at The Hybrid Club, and you know where to find me at C Says, C E A S E S A Y S. What's good, people? So, recording this um, the day after the 2 2 draw at Anfield, away from home. We now have eight games left, having played 30 games in the league. We are six points ahead of City. They have one game in hand. It's in our hands, as well as being in their hands. If anything, what's what I've taken away from this game um, is we have the ability to be champions. Do we have the temperament? And that is what we have to show. And I say that not because I'm about to lean into some narrative that Arsenal lost their head or bowled it or anything like that, nothing like that. I ask that question because what this game showed me is we have the quality. We've had the quality all season. That has become clear. It took me a while to, I think, internalize and really believe what I was watching because, you know, the first couple months of the season, the sun's out, you're feeling good, you're watching new signings, they're doing well, everything's going well. You know, we get in the run-up to the World Cup and I'm thinking, wow, this team actually does look really, really good. But, you know, it's still early on in the season. There's going to be a World Cup break. We need to see who comes back injured and how they play. You know, then we get back from the World Cup. We lose Jesus. We're wondering, "Mm, are we going to be able to cope? Eddie does well, filling in. And you're thinking, okay, okay. You know, we bring in the likes of Trossard and he gives us something extra. Uh, Jorginho does well in moments of midfield. And suddenly we're in, you know, February and March and it's like we're still top oh my God, this might be a thing. This might be real. You know, we get to the international break after, you know, a a brief spell where we drop points to Everton and Brentford. You know, we get to the international break and suddenly we're in the running, 10 games left and we're top, eight points. And we're thinking, oh, this is a thing thing. You know, so it took me a while to kind of get to the place where I thought, okay, this is for real. This This isn't for play, this is for real. And there were certain games along the way, you know, there was the Liverpool win, big one um the both wins against spurs massive but you know spurs the win against united i think was big for me in in the way we did it the fact that jesus wasn't there the fact we were able to get that over the line i think that was massive so there were there were certain games this season where i just looked and i said oh i i think this is a thing thing but um but yeah there's no doubt that this run in the final 10 games of the season, we now have eight to go. There were going to be some big tests, not just because of the quality of the opposition, but the timing of the year. This is when games get very, very real and teams are fighting for their lives at the bottom, pushing for Europe at the top. You know, as much as in the Premier League, there are no easy games. At this stage of the season, you know, the team finishing 20th can take points off the team, you know, top two, top three. So, I'm really, really, really at this point thinking to myself, we've demonstrated we have the quality on the pitch, but do we have the mental fortitude to go into a game and see it as a game of football? 90 minutes, we play our football, we maintain our composure, we maintain our quality, our style of play, we put our foot on the ball and ball teams off the pitch. That is really what I want to see. Can we maintain the mental focus to continue to play the football that's got us this far? Or does the pressure get a bit too much we snatch at chances, you know, we over-elaborate, we don't quite do what we're supposed to do. We, you know, you know, essentially, do we take our eye off the, eye off the ball? Do we lose focus? So that's what I was, you know, thinking. And this game made me think these players have the quality 
they now have to show they have the temperament. For me personally, this weekend, I you know I got a gift as um, from from some family, you know, a little spa breakaway in the English countryside, and you know, I thought to myself, do you know what? I'm going to try this out. I'm going to have a look, see how it feels. So I was away, you know, full blown relaxation mode. You know, I'm talking hydrotherapy pools. You know, I'm talking white gowns when you're walking around a facility, Himalayan salt steam rooms and saunas and all that, all that stuff. Um, so I kind of just thought, oh, do you know what? I'm going to do my best to avoid a lot of the pre-game noise and that kind of thing because you're just going to ramp up your own anxiety and everything else with it. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to go away. I'm going to chill. I was due to be back at home, literally sort of walking through the door five minutes before the game starts. That's sort of the timing of when I'm traveling back. So I was very calm before this game. I, You know, you have moments where you go to yourself, oh God, what's it mean if we lose and blah, blah, blah. But honestly, for the most part, I was pretty calm. It wasn't just the relaxing surroundings. It was um, it was the fact that I've kind of got to a space with this team where they're good enough or they're not. And so I'm desperate, like everybody, like everybody, I'm desperate for this team to win a title. Haven't seen it for 19 years. I'm desperate. The idea of watching these players lift that trophy, get those medals around their neck and do the trophy parade through North London, are you crazy? I will be there no matter what. So I am desperate for it. But to do that, the team have to be good enough to do it. And the one thing I've realized is if we don't do it, it won't be because we're not good enough to be champions. The question is just whether whether or not we can do it, whether we can get over the line, whether we can maintain that focus and that composure that I spoke about to be able to get over the line in those difficult moments, to rely on our quality to win those games and not lose focus, lose our way, forget our footballing principles and just fall apart. Can we just keep doing what we're doing, take each game one at a time? We have the footballing quality. And so if we have the footballing quality, it's just a question of whether we can do it or not. And that's where I've kind of got to with this team. I trust this team to be good enough to do it. Now it just remains to be seen whether they can. And when you're going up against the City side that has a absolute phenom of a centre forward who by himself is going to bag 38 to 42 Premier League goals by himself, supported by one of the best um, attacking midfielders the Premier League, if not the world, has ever seen in Kevin De Bruyne, 100 million Jack Grealish, who's playing like a 100 million pound Jack Grealish, you know. Then you've got an incredibly talented player like Mahrez to the right, Bernardo Silva, Rodri supporting them, Diaz in, in you know, in defence with a goalkeeper like Edison, who, you know, is effectively not only a brilliant goalkeeper, but also, you know, a de facto, sorry, a, you know, a, a supplemental outfield player. When you've got, when you've got that, going up against you for us to come from where we come from to even be in this position is sensational this team this play these players the manager the coaching staff the medical staff the club all of it sensational right so the fact that we've got to the stage where we're good enough i'm i'm very calm about just going into the games because we do it or we don't we're good enough or we're not. And I feel like we are. So I just want to see if we do. Um, you know, while I was chilling in the spa, you know, I, I said I was trying to stay away from a lot of noise, but I thought I'd check on the Southampton game and that kind of thing. And, you know, I saw I saw the result um, while I was chilling in a relaxation room 
And so I just like, do you know what? Yep, switch off. City have an absolutely batter them. So like, let's leave that where it is. Um, the fact Southampton took points off, I still grinds my gears, to be honest. Um, so yeah, with City winning 4-1 again and brutalizing Liverpool um, by the same scoreline that previous weekend, it was our time to take on Liverpool. Um, like I said, I got back home for the start of the game. Uh so on the way back, I was looking out for, you know, updates about the starting lineup and just generally catching up on stuff I'd missed. And by the time I got to, you know, a couple of hours before kickoff, I was already sick to death of hearing about our record at Anfield. Um, and I was just looking forward to the game being over. And looking back on the game, um, there was the incident slash non-incident with Shaka, the Kivio substitution, the Zinchenko-Trent 1v1, you know, those three things went a long way in one form or another to uh, informing how the game played out. And I do think that the way we look at the game is, you know, in large part impacted by the order within which things happened. You know, if we go 2-0 down and we come back to 2-2, we look at this game very differently. But we didn't, so we don't. And that's understandable, right? We can only see things how we see them. So yeah, you know, I was traveling back and then the lineup came up and the Arsenal lineup was exactly as I expected. I know there was a bit of conversation about whether or not Trossard would stay in for Jesus or, you know, that kind of thing, whether maybe Trossard would play left. And my mind was, if Liverpool were going to play Trent, I did wonder whether they'd go with Gomez to try and, you know, go for a bit more of a defensive lineup. But realistically, you know, Klopp in big games is going to trust his big game players. So he played Trent. Um, if Trent was going to play, you want Martinelli running at Trent all day. And I think that was proven the correct decision by how the game played out. As much as Trossard has done phenomenally well, and he has, if Gabriel Jesus is fit, he starts. That's that's just how that goes, quite frankly. So I was not remotely surprised to see Jesus starting. And of course, Starboy Saka on the right as well. Everything else was as expected. I wasn't expecting to see Saliba. I know it was sort of, um, it was a bit hilarious seeing a little bit of the build-up um, with people looking at pixelated photos from the training game to see if the right arm of a player matched Saliba's right arm. Desperation. Rob Holding is a good player. Um, as I've said, I do think if he has to play week in, week out for the whole of this run-in, at some point or another, there may be an issue. But credit to Rob Holding, he has not been uh, a topic of conversation in the games that he stepped in this season. He just hasn't. And that's all you want from your centre-backs, really. If you, if you want to be talking about your centre-backs, you want to be talking about how outstanding they are. Otherwise, you want them to be a non-event. And Rob Holding in this game was not the topic of conversation. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't expecting Saliba. I was just expecting Rob Holding to be in there, and he did really well in this game. So, yeah, fully expected that. The Liverpool side was inter interesting, though. As I said, I did think, or wonder at least, whether... Um, Gomez playing against Chelsea might be a precursor to him playing against us, but it looks like it was just a case of resting Trent, particularly after having a few really bad games. Um, and yeah, in the midfield, I thought they'd go for Elliot, um, but they went for Curtis Jones again. But again, there were a lot of players who had you know a lot of minutes midweek, so it makes sense that um, they they made some switches there. So yeah, with that, the game was um, ready to go and to kick off. And one of the surprises um, in this game pretty early on that became apparent was um, much like Zinchenko uh, for us, Liverpool had um, Trent inverting from right back for them, which would mean both teams would have sort of situational quote-unquote back threes, you know, 3-2-5 or 3-2-2-3 three, two, two, three, or however you want to put it, depending on the, the sort of approach in build-up. 
Ordinarily, our system would allow for our attackers to overload the defensive line of the opposition by creating one extra attacker and allowing us to sit someone in each of the five attacking lanes. You know, positional player, I don't have to explain to you. We've been seeing it all season. Um, it also means that when we want to press, we can pretty much go man for man. Um, but in this instance, if Martinelli is on Trent and then goes inwards to Mark Trent because Trent inverts and goes in midfield, that drags Martinelli inside instead of outside. Canate would slide over to the right to cover the space that Trent vacates, and that gives Liverpool an extra space to pass out because they've got Canate at the back, uh, VVD in the middle, Robertson on the far side. And with Trent inside and Martinelli dragged inside, there's Canate by himself wide right. Um, so, yeah. Um, so that was interesting, I thought. Uh, it gives, it did give Martinelli an opportunity to attack uh, Liverpool's right, his uh, you know our attacking left hand side, because of course if Trent um, steps out of space, Kalate has to shift over on the right, and so there's just inevitably going to be more space because there's one less defender in the defensive line. So that was a risk Liverpool took, um, particularly because it can create a mammoth gap if if Kanate goes shifts over to the right, it can create a mammoth gap between Kanate and uh, Virgil Van Dijk. So ordinarily Fabinho would have to drop in from midfield to cover that space in between the two centre-backs. But if he doesn't do it, or doesn't do it quick enough, or doesn't do it well enough, then again, Jesus is feasting because there's just a massive gap between the two centre-backs. And I think we saw in this game all of these factors come into play with at least some of the goals. Um, point in case, Arsenal go 1-0 up. We work the ball well, sort of. Um, we work it left and then over to Ben White on our right. He plays a vertical ball forward towards Saka on the right-hand side. Um, Saka does really well, actually, because he makes a run sort of go from out to in, which completely throws Robson off. Robson slips and Saka's able to run past him. The moment we've done that, we have our attackers making the Liverpool defence retreat. And I've seen this a million times before because I still remember the days of watching our entire defensive line collapse the moment anyone was running at us. So whenever I see that that shape take place where, you know, you've got a wave of attackers coming forward and a defensive line retreating backwards I think you've got them so yeah as they're um as they're retreating you can see we've got an extra man over on them as we bypass their midfield um sort of by playing wide from you know off our left switching to white and then on uh, on Saka so by playing wide rather than through the middle um we're able to completely bypass their midfield and as Robertson slipped slipped we're able to just straight attack their defense um so I spoke in the preview about how dishevelled Liverpool's defence has been this season, and this was kind of a glimpse of how it's happened in previous games. So we have the ball, we're progressing past um, Robertson and past the midfield straight to their defensive line. Saka plays it to Erdegaard, who tries to play a uh, return ball to Saka in behind Virgil van Dijk, which I think was the wrong position because, to be honest, van Dijk had it covered. But fortunately for us, um, Van Dijk couldn't get the ball under control. It bounces off his foot and goes straight into Martinelli's path, who's sort of parallel with him. Martinelli gets this under control, and under pressure from Trent, he sort of jinxed past Van Dijk. He's trying to cut the ball out and prods the ball past Allison before Robertson, making a recovery run, can cut it out. Um, and the ball just sort of rolls into the net for a 1 0. And I am, you know, it's sort of 1 0 inside eight minutes, and I can't believe what I'm seeing. I'm just like, you know, you're loving it because it's an early goal. We know how important early goals are in big games. Um, it completely, it can completely change the approach of both teams and how they play. And I'm thinking to myself, yes, this is how we show that we're really about it. You know, if we can go to Liverpool, get, you know, one or two goals, 
um, really impose ourselves on them and show our quality, it really does send a massive message. And while, you know, again, you know, everyone's um, approach to these kind of things is different. I do think genuinely speaking, it's important for teams to show them, you know, other teams in the league opposition, um, how good they are and really, really kind of apply pressure. You know, if City show, see us go and, you know, dominate Liverpool, it tells them we're serious, we're about it. It's not going to be easy running for them. So, yes, I was delighted to see us go um, one up. And to be honest, as soon as I saw Robertson slip, I knew we'd score. I thought we might play it over to a free player on the left-hand side just because we had free players um, on, on, on the overlap to the left. But nonetheless, once we broke, um, I knew we'd have them. Uh, the rest of the half, to be honest, or the rest of the majority of the half, was us playing our football the way we've been playing all season. And we were playing Liverpool off the park and creating openings and, and chances that we could have done more with. But again, Liverpool have been very good at home, so it was never going to be just like an easy, easy game in in that sense. Um, on one occasion, for example, for example, holding in Zinchenko, we're exchanging passes Rondo-style deep in our midfield. This drew two, two Liverpool pressers towards the ball. Holding gives the ball to Zinchenko, who opens up his body and turns out of pressure. Suddenly we're away and going upfield. Zinchenko plays a dummy, um, which buys him a little bit of time, and he shifts the ball left, left to Martinelli. He gives it back to Zinchenko, who sort of cross-shot is palmed away by Allison. And again, brilliant piece of play. Lots of subtle uses of technique and feints and drops to the shoulder to just buy an extra extra moment, extra yard to be able to make a decision. Really good play by Zinchenko. We had another chance with a big switch um, from left to right to Saka. That leads to Saka floating a uh, back post cross to Jesus, who can't quite turn the goal. Uh, the ball goalwards. So we're getting our chances. Liverpool have their own. Um, they had a chance to think Robson gets played in behind and he drills a low shot just wide. But besides that, we are very much on top. We're piling on the pressure at this point and you'd expect us to go on to score if we keep it up. And with that, it wouldn't be long before we did and we'd get the second goal. And yeah, we go 2-0 up. Party passes Shaka, who separates from Henderson. Chaka clips a ball forward up the touchline uh, through to Martinelli, who manages to lose his Trent. Uh, managed to lose Trent. Konate comes to the right on the cover, as we spoke about earlier. Um, Trent is further up midfield. Konate shifts over to the right. So as he shifts up and goes to the right, um, Konate's uh, sorry, Trent is getting back to um, back into position to help sort of double team Martinelli. Martinelli doesn't wait though, and he floats across into the box. Now, while all this has been happening, Jesus has been making a run into the box between Virgil van Dijk in front of him and Robertson behind him because Konate shifted over to the right to help Trent and cover that space. There's a lot less defenders in the box, so a lot more space. So as um, Jesus goes into the box, he's basically alone in between van Dijk and Robertson and he's able to um, get onto the end of the cross that Martinelli puts in, head it past Allison, tune it up. I think Virgil van Dijk is probably expecting... Canate and uh, Trent hold Martinelli up a bit longer. So I think the cross comes in a bit earlier than he's expecting. So he's setting himself up. By the time it comes, Jesus is perfectly placed between the two of them. The ball's flowed perfectly in between them. Fantastic cross, great header, 2-0. And by this point, you're thinking, you're not thinking job done. You're never thinking job done inside, you know, 25, 30 minutes at Anfield. But you certainly are thinking this is looking very, very, very good. Um yeah, at this point, I'm just delighted. You know, 
But you also remember that in these situations, particularly at a ground like Anfield, a team like Liverpool, one goal changes everything. Um, so I'm just hoping we can go into the half 2-0 up. At this point, Anfield hasn't been its sort of rocking best and we've kept this Liverpool side and the Anfield quite quiet. And this changes on around the 43rd minute. Um, White plays a crossfield ball to Martinelli. He gives it to Shaka, who's knocked over by Canate. Um, as the ball is played to Trent, Shaka gets up um, and then he sort of basically runs in on Trent and sort of arrives a little bit late, sort of just leaving a little on him. Nothing serious, nothing major. Trent then gets angry and he shoves Shaka in the back. The two of them sort of, I don't know, face off. Crowd gets amped. They both get carded. It's nothing major. You see it all the time in the Premier League, pretty much every game, every weekend. It's not a major incident at all. But I think the incident, um, the commentary of the incident is different just because it's Shaka who's involved. Um, I don't think the situation itself is a big deal at all. However, remember last season, um, we were doing well against Liverpool. Arteta got into it with Klopp. Crowd gets up. They get confident. They turn the screw. We get absolutely roasted. Now, I'm not a massive believer that it's as simple as one plus one equals two and Shaka got the crowd pumped, which led to Liverpool scoring. I'm not really a believer in that. Um, what I would say is that it looked to me like Trent lost his head more than Shaka did. Um, but because Shaka has the reputation he has, he does need to be a bit more careful in these situations. Um, personally, I think Liverpool's poor form this season has been more about a loss of confidence than a loss of ability. And I think that was clear from yesterday's game. If you see how well Liverpool played, it's hardly surprising, um, to be honest, that they are, they're able to show up the way they do at Anfield because of the confidence they have, they just play their football and they you you know you get reminded of why this team has been so good for so long. The question is why the loss of confidence away from home, but that's you know for them to figure out. That's you know that's not why we're here. So while I don't think it's sort of a case of correlation equals causation, I do think that Liverpool got a bit of a jump start from the situation. They got a shot of adrenaline which kickstarted their heartbeat figuratively. You know. They grew in confidence quickly and, you know, they remember they're actually a very good football team. And from that point on, it was their game. Um, it didn't go, it didn't need to go that way, but that's how it went. Um, and while I don't blame Chaka personally, and I think the arguments that he lost his head and caused them to quote-unquote wake up are beyond reductive, you can't argue that, you can't argue against the fact that the game pretty much changed at that moment. Um, now, don't get me wrong, we still had big chances afterwards to win and, you know, we very much could have done so. If we go 3-0 up, it's a different game, I think. But Liverpool were on top from that point onwards. And just before half-time, Liverpool got their goal. Um, Robson headed the ball forward to Jota. Jota has his back to goal. He's sort of central in Liverpool's midfield. White's marking Jota with party just to his left. Jota's able to swivel and play the ball between the two of them. Um, Gakpo's there to receive and he gives it to Curtis Jones, who's on Liverpool's left wing. He brings it forward into the area. Jota's now made an overlapping run um, and he receives the ball, cutting it back to Henderson, who's in the middle of the box. Henderson's able to stab the ball forward towards the six-yard six yard box. Gabriel loses Salah and Salah's able to put the ball past Ramsdale in the six-yard box to make it 2-1. I was watching it back and I was trying to figure out what happened, who's to blame, who lost their man, etc., etc. And while, you know, you can maybe say that holding could have closed down quicker or that party could have been got on the cover quicker for the cutback or really it was just a well-worked team goal with good movement 
It's that simple. Liverpool had a good movement, well-worked team goal. And sometimes it's not about what you've done wrong. Sometimes it's just about what the other team did right. Um, and yeah, if we're perfectly switched on, maybe we're able to cut that out at various moments. You know, maybe Gabriel's able to just get his foot on the ball and knock the ball wide just before Salah can get there. But, you know, th- this isn't FIFA. They're not robots. They- they're not going to be absolutely perfect every single time. Things happen. And I just think this was a really well-worked Liverpool goal. But unfortunately, it means that um, it's 2-1 before half time, And you always feel goals just before half time are game changers, regardless of whether or not that's actually true. I don't know if that's even a fact. But it always feels that way. Um, which tells you how much this sport we love is, you know, in our heads a lot of the time. But you do always feel a game is different if you can hang on until half time, particularly with a two goal lead, um, versus that lead being cut down to one or, you know, having a one nil lead uh, cut back to one one. But they score and we go into half time two one. On half time, there's a lot of commotion. You know, I'm, from my perspective, I'm just sort of watching TV. I see Jesus is riled up. I don't know why. Um, Robertson and Henderson are not happy. And then all of a sudden, I, you know, see the refs giving someone a yellow card. No idea what's going on. And I couldn't believe the footage when I saw the linesman look like he elbowed Robertson in the jaw. I couldn't believe, <laughs> couldn't believe what I was seeing. Um, yeah, it all just seemed, it all just seemed wild. I, I have no idea what caused it, what happened. I, I really don't. But in any case, that's what it was. You know, we get to half time. There's all that madness. Liverpool fired up. You know, we're feeling a bit forlorn because we let that two goal slip and two goal lead slip. And, you know, Arteta has a job in his hands to remind these players of their quality and, and get them out of Anfield with uh, with the points. So, yeah, it's it's at this point, you're feeling a bit gutted and you feel you feel the swing. But you think to yourself, we'll have our moments in the second half. And if we have those moments in the second half, we can we can you know potentially turn it around. But you just know that it's going to be a difficult game from here on out. By this point, I'm thinking, you know, on pure football, we we pick them apart. And Liverpool need the temperature raised to turn this into a fight. You know, they don't want it to be a, a footballing match on the pitch. They want it to be a fight. Um, and we've seen that a few times this season. Teams have tried to rile us up, kick us off the pitch, whatever. Now, Liverpool weren't trying to kick us off the pitch, I don't think. Um, you know, a few robust challenges here and there, but I don't think it was, you know, like some of the games we've had this season. I just think that on you know in a pure in a pure footballing sense we outplay them. So if it's more of a fight, then they have more of a chance. So you know in the first half, particularly the first 30, 30 40 minutes, I think we're all over them. Um, Martinelli is absolutely roasting Trent on the right. Um, our midfield had his complete control. Our defense is you know got all the space covered. We are doing exact. We're doing to Liverpool in the first forty minutes what we've done to every team pretty much we've come up against in the league this season, bar you know, City and Everton. Um. So yeah, we've just got to keep doing more of the same, really. Despite that that late goal in the in at the end of the first half, more of the same. You know, put it like this: if we have a first half, if we have a second half exactly like the first half, we walk away with three points. Even if we have. You think to yourself, even we're able to play our football for 30 minutes of the second half, 20 minutes of the second half, we might well have enough to get over the line. But yeah, we uh, we come out in the second half and immediately it's obvious that Liverpool are in control. Immediately. You know, we're sort of a couple minutes in and Kanate does a tough challenge on Shaka, um, which leads to Gakpo feeding in Salah who hits the ball inside net. It looks like Liverpool are targeting Shaq for some rough treatment. Um, I'm 
If you'd asked me previous seasons, I'd be worried about Shaka. But in this season, Shaka has not been that guy. He's been imperious. So was not worried about him in this game at all, um, regardless of the narrative. But I think it's very clear very early on in the second half that this is Liverpool's game. And it's just going to be a question of, can we get out of here with the three points? And pretty quickly, it looks like our chances of doing that are cut very, very, very short as Liverpool win a penalty. Um, there's a corner kick, it's swung in, swung in, the ball isn't cleared, drops in the area, breaks loose. Holding looks like he's going to clear it. Jota sees him, runs across Holding. They have a coming together. Jota goes down, the ref gives a penalty. Now, this is one of those penalties that every time you see it, it's given. Um, but you know what's happened. The player has just put himself in front of Holding and just waiting to, to feel the contact before going down. It's a penalty every time. Question mark whether it should be. But those are given all the time. Um, and it's an interesting one because for me, I thought Rob Holding was fine in this game. I don't think he did anything wrong, really, um, which is amazing because this was probably the one game myself and lots of others thought if we were going to see Rob Holding tested, this would be the game. But he was fine. Um, but I do wonder, not because it would have been fair, but just because it's football and fans are the way fans are and pundits are the way pundits are. If Salah scores this penalty, I think there are more conversations about Rob Holding and Saliba missing, et cetera, et cetera, than there would be if um, it, 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 in, in the situation it is now. And I say that because one of the things that Saliba is known for is his composure. And I wonder whether the discourse around Holding would be about a quote-unquote lack of composure. And one, and I wonder whether the lens with which this penalty would be viewed would be skewed if Salah scores. Not because it's fair, but just because that's kind of how things work. A lot of stuff is sort of post-hoc analysis. The thing happens and then it, it dictates what you say about it rather than whether the value of the thing itself. And I, and I wonder about that holding. I'm glad that that's not the case, actually, because he's been great since he's come in. Had rocky moments here or there, but every player does. Considering he's basically played Europa League minutes, a few cup minutes, but not much else, to come in and play 90 minutes week after week after week um, when you know a player is important, a Saliba's gone is a testament to holding and his quality. But in any case, they get the penalty. Salah steps up. I'm thinking to myself, 2-2, two, two, and we're stuffed. And he just puts the ball wide. Now, Ramsdale gets nowhere near it. It's a terrible dive from Ramsdale. Just awful. Um, does nothing to help his detractors who complain about his ability on penalties. But Salah puts it wide. And I go from the all is lost moment, where I think we're going to get absolutely hammered from that point on, to thinking maybe this is the bit of luck we need. Maybe we can just hold out. Sure, it's going to be Liverpool's half. They're going to absolutely batter us. But maybe just maybe this is one of those games where you deserve nothing from the game, but you go away with three points because you've managed to get out of dodge and, and get a bit of luck. I did wonder at that point, which just shows you how fickle you know being a fan is. One minute you think you're you've lost it the next minute you think you might win it and then you think you might lose it again then you think you might win it it's just a roller coaster of being a fan and despite how calm i was before the game whenever you're in the game whenever you're in the fixture it's always different before the game after the game i can be a lot more measured in how i see things but during the game like everybody else i'm just all over the place um but yeah it was a reprieve of sorts um and we were going to need probably not only a bit of quality but a bit of luck if we were going to get anything from this game. And what we got was some otherworldly goalkeeping from Aaron, 
fucking Ramsdale. Um, we had a bit of time where, you know, uh, Gabriel had headed the ball out. And so it was down um, for a little bit, receiving some treatment. And, you know, it was in these moments that I think you could see the managers deciding what they were going to do, what was going to come next and that kind of thing. And while um, Gabriel was down, receiving some treatment, I see Liverpool about to bring on Thiago. And this is exactly, exactly the type of tra- uh, the type of substitution I did not want to see in this game. Um, a game where Liverpool now have control of the football, you're bringing on an imperious passer of the ball in, in Thiago. And on 60 minutes, Curtis Jones comes off and Thiago comes on. Nunes comes on for Jota. And Liverpool have decided they are going to attack this game. And it's all Liverpool for the first 15 minutes, and it's all Liverpool thereafter. They're all over us. Um, we're just not in the game in an attacking sense at all. Now, that being said, they haven't had that many clear-cut chances by this point. So as much as they've been all over us, it's not translating to clear-cut goal-mouth action, um, at least not yet. But that's going to be... Um, that's going to change pretty quickly, to be honest. We had a couple of moments um, before before it does start to change. Um, there was one moment around 72 minutes, I think. Uh, Jesus presses Thiago off the ball from his blind side. The ball breaks loose to Zinchenko. He draws um, the Liverpool midfield towards him before playing uh, Shaka in through behind them. Shaka looks up, swings the ball to the left into the running path of Martinelli, who's running down on Allison. He tries to square the ball across the six-yard box to Saka, but Allison's there to, to pick it up. Um, Thiago gets the ball from Allison, plays a brilliant over-the-shoulder ball, taking two of our players out. How we managed to recover the ball, we get to Erdegaard by a shot saved by Allison. Um, brilliant, brilliant uh, bit of play by us, but couldn't really make turn it into anything. There was another moment, Erdegaard with a sensational daisy cutter to Martinelli. The pass was ridiculous. Um, Martinelli plays in Saka, who tries to stand it up, but it goes behind for a goal kick. That's pretty much the last time we had any skin in the game. Um, and after that, they were on us. Um, Fabinho came off and Fabinho came on. Liverpool go 4-2-4 and we are stuffed. Around the 78th minute in response, Trossard comes on for Jesus and Kivior comes on for Odegaard. And while I have no problem with Odegaard coming off in this situation because I do think we were in a position where the game was getting away from him and it wasn't, it was no longer a game for an Odegaard. Um, at least not how he was playing anyway. I, I've got to be honest about how I felt in the moment. Um, I felt like this was Arteta completely giving up any semblance of having a chance of having any control in this game. He had given up on Arsenal winning this game through any semblance of control. Um, at this point, he's gone full-blown counter-attack. And I'm not a fan of that against a team like Liverpool because I just think they have the quality. If you If you give them enough time and enough space around your penalty area... They've got enough quality to do you, especially if they're going 4-2-4, which is what they did. So, yeah, for me, I just thought this... I don't want to say he threw in the towel, but just this is how it felt, that he'd just given up on trying to win the game through football. And I just think that's how we won all season. Um, Around 80th minute... Uh, there was a header forward by Virgil van Dijk. Firmino directs it to Salah after getting absolutely clattered by Kivior. Salah whips the ball in behind and Nunez is through 1v1. And this is where the otherworldly goalkeeping starts. Um, 
Nunez is through and Ramsdale makes a brilliant low save. Nunez gets the ball slightly stuck under his foot, but manages to get the managed to get the shot off. Ramsdale now is the angle enough and puts himself in a great position to make the save. Um and it's excellent from the Arsenal goalkeeper again, just brilliant. And honestly, talking about the substitution, I'm not sure how I felt about Kivio playing in this game at Anfield. Um, not sure if he was ready for it. Still feels a little undercooked for a game of this intensity in the Premier League. Um, he'll adjust as he gets more minutes of, you know, I have no doubt, you know, end of the season, pre-season. The more minutes he gets, the more he's, he'll adjust. I'm sure he'll be fine. You know, whether or not he goes on to be a great player, an okay player, or a terrible player remains to be seen, but I'm sure he'll be fine. Um, you know, coming on in a 4-1 win at home to a awful Palace team, very different to what he would have experienced in the Liverpool game. But it's these experiences that will build him up as a player that we can uh, then feel more confident using. Um my fear with the Arteta substitution was, as I said, ceding that much territory to a Liverpool side playing this well was unsustainable for as long as we would need to do it. Eventually, they'll find a way through. Um, we've tried it in previous years, and albeit with worse players, I am well aware. But nonetheless, they can be irrepressible if they have a ball in and around your box, especially at home with players like Firmino, Trent, Salo and Thiago all trying to find passes. And inevitably, three of those four would play a key part in what came next. And that was the Liverpool equaliser. So Robertson's exchanging passes wide on Liverpool's left-hand side. Um, Robertson brought the ball forward while Firmino sort of jogged forward more centrally. Robertson whips in across. Um, Holding tries to head it away, but the header gets skewed um, wide to the right side of our penalty area to there. To, sorry, to the left side of our penalty area, they're attacking right. Um, and it falls to the feet of Salah on the edge of Valdi. There's no one around him. As we try and close him down, he brings the ball down, jockeys to buy himself a bit of time, and then angles his body for the reverse ball. Um, so he plays it wide right to Henderson, who's on the right-hand side of our area at this point. While this is happening, you know, Gabriel's closing down Henderson. Nunes is on um, Kivio's blind side. So if you think of our defensive line, Gabriel's closing down Henderson, who's on the right of our... Um, right side of Liverpool's attack, the left side of our penalty area. Um, Nunez is on Kivio's blind side, um, sort of as they're just on the penalty area. But Kivio's position to clear across that swung in, whether it's an in-swing or out-swinger, so he's fine for the, for the time being. Um, holding is marking Gakpo and folding, uh, and Firmino is behind White on White's blind side, so it's sort of like a defensive line, if you will. So you've got Gabriel closing down, then you've got Kivio, um, and Nunez, you've got holding and Gakpo, then you've got Firmino and White. So as uh, Henderson has the ball on the right-hand side, Trent makes a darting, underlapping run um, across the face of Martinelli in zone 14 to go and support Henderson in the box. Trent receives the ball and Zinchenko goes over, who's been free, uh, who's been a free man in the box, goes over to meet Trent. So Trent, Zinchenko, 1v1. Trent does Sinchenko with the uh, with the nutmeg, and he's now free, running down on our goal from their right-hand side. Our defensive line sort of has dropped back to get ready for the cross or the cutback. However, Firmino has sort of slightly delayed his run, which White hasn't seen. Firmino now has a running jump on White, and by this point, it's already too late. Trent floats in the ball to the back post. White can't reach it, and Firmino's there to, you know, just let the ball sort of cushion off his head into the net. And that makes it 2-2. And it was an awful feeling. It was an awful gut-wrenching feeling of inevitability. 
at the time. And I'm just being honest about how I felt at the time. It felt like Arteta threw in the towel. Kivio was undercooked and we looked worse with him on the pitch. It wasn't his fault. But I just think it sent a, best, a message to both sides, a side that we'd given up um, on trying to win the game in the sense of being proactive in going out to win the game. And it we were just sort of trying not to lose. That's how it felt. I'm not saying that's what he did. I'm just saying that's how it felt. Um, and Liverpool saw, went 4-2-4, saw us bring on Kivior, take off Odegaard and thought, they've given up, we've got them. And so they just went at us and it was just wave after wave after wave of attack. In reality, um, you know, I think it's more the case that Arteta saw the level of dominance Liverpool had. They're at home at Anfield, they've got a brilliant record, they've got great players on the pitch and he's thinking to himself, this is their game. On the day, they're better than us. If we can't win, don't lose. If we go into a defensive shape now, if we sort of block off the, the shooting lanes and we defend well, we can hold on to our 2-1, but at the bare minimum, we won't lose. I think that's what Arteta's thinking. And fair play to him, we didn't lose. But I did wonder whether there was another way to go about this that would allow us a better chance of having an opportunity to win the game rather than just not lose. But I say that, that's how I felt at the time. In hindsight, I don't know what that would have been beyond maybe Tierney coming on at the same time as Kivio. Um to provide that support, or instead of Kivio, I don't know. But looking at how well they played, looking back at the game, I can see why Arteta did what he did. And, you know, my feelings on it at the time were probably just clouded by how disappointed I was that we weren't able to hold on to the 2-0 lead. Um, in any case, it just felt annoying to lose to, to to lose our lead to a goal like that as well. We had three centre-backs on the pitch and they still managed to score from across, a uh, header from across. It's just really frustrating. But nonetheless, Zinchenko came off for Tierney and you see you see how cut up Zinchenko is because he knows he gets done by Trent and they were able to get the ball, get the get the goal from that moment. And he knows one v one. If he if he, you know, if he stops Trent progressing, then you know they don't get that goal. But honestly, as good as Liverpool were and as bad as we were, if they don't score, then they probably score another chance, to be honest. So hopefully he kind of doesn't beat himself too much and he puts it behind him. Um, you know, I hear people say that Zinchenko should have come off 10 minutes earlier and, you know, they may be right. i got to be honest, say I wasn't thinking it at the time, but looking back in hindsight, retrospect, potentially that that is what should have happened. But at this point in the game, it's a question for me anyway, of whether Liverpool could find a winner. Um, they did have their chances. Uh, Salah had a chance where a floated ball over the top was put over he sort of was leaning back just so he made the connection. Um, he did have another Mavisa chance where, again, Virgil headed the ball forward, flicked behind our defensive line by Nunes, Salah running towards goal with Gabriel chasing. Um, Gabriel blocks the low cross and it comes back out to Salah, who gives it to Henderson, who's in support. Henderson gives a pass to Thiago, who does a sensational, and I mean sensational sort of, flick pass um, that takes both Trossard and Martinelli out of the game. He gives it to Trent. Trent plays it in behind to an oncoming Shaka. He gives it to Salah, who's on the right-hand side of our area. Salah can create an angle on goal to bend it left-footed into the top corner, Robin style. Um, Salah shoots. It's deflected off Gabriel. And Ramsdale, at full stretch, makes a sensational flying save. He has to adjust um, because of the deflection, and he just tips it using his fingertips. 
wide of the goal. It's an unbelievable save to help us preserve a point in this game. But it wasn't over. Liverpool still have the have the ball onslaught wave after wave. It's 90 minutes plus five. The game's nearly over. We just need to hang on so we can get that point. Um, Thiago has the ball uh, wide to the left of Liverpool's midfield. He plays it centrally to Trent. All of our players, bar Trossard, are in a defensive line with all of Liverpool's players on the edge of our area. Trent brings the ball forward and floats a ball over the top of our back line. Um, and they've just halted their run while Nunes has um, continued. So the ball floats over our defensive line. Nunes is there. He's on the edge of the six-yard box, left-hand side. Headers the ball down, square across our six-yard box to Konate, who's at the back post. The ball bounces awkwardly, so he just has to chest it into the net. He makes a connection, but Ramsdale flies across the face of our goal and clears the ball off the line before Gabriel can win the ball off Salah and bring the ball out. I cannot state enough how sensational those saves from Ramsdale were. Those are two mammoth chances. And at the game, he is the difference between one point and no points. He has been sensational all season, not just in terms of the ability of us to be able to play out from the back and, you know, um, relieve ourselves of any pressure that comes from being pressed off the ball in defensive areas. His range of passing is elite, but his ability, his 1v1 saving, his ability, you know, I remember the save, um, you know, uh, in the game against Bournemouth, for example, and how different that game would have been and if, if we let that goal in. I mean, it genuinely... He's done it so many times this season where he just pulled off a remarkable save. That was that was brilliant. But the drama wasn't over as Gabriel has a chance uh, to set us off on the break. He plays a stabbing ball forward which tress, with Trossard back heels into path for Martinelli who's now wide on the left. At this point it's 3v1. Martinelli wide left. Trossard just inside him on the right. Robertson's ahead of Trossard tracking his run. And way, way wide to the right is Saka all alone, able to run through on goal with the entire Liverpool half to run into. Martinelli has an absolute chasm in front of Martinelli to play him in. Um, and he plays the forward pass, pass. We have an opportunity to steal a victory from the jaws of a draw. Martinelli's pass has just a bit too much on it. And Alisson playing the sweeper keeper gets the ball before Saka can. Um, brilliant opportunity for a winner at the death. Um, but while I was losing it at the moment, it was the 95th minute. They were all absolutely shattered, ran themselves into the ground. A brilliant defensive work, amazing attacking uh, performances at, in moments. It was unsurprising that Martinelli couldn't quite get it right and that Saka couldn't quite reach it. It's a shame. And, you know, they'll look back and wish they did more Martinelli or wish his, his pass was better. You know, Saka will just wish that he, you know, he was able to get there before Alisson could. But honestly, that pass from Martinelli, because Alisson was playing sweep, sweeper-keeper, that pass from Martinelli would have to be inch-perfect into Saka's feet and Saka would have to take the shot quite early because Alisson's bearing down on him and there are Liverpool players making recovery runs back. So they'll look back and say they had the quality to score that. But I can't, I can't begrudge them because of the sheer demand of physical effort they put in in the second half for us not to concede. So with that chance game, Began... The game go, ends 2-2, and I just hope we're not looking back at that chance at the end of the season and thinking what could have been. 
And even if that would have been a bit silly, to be honest, because there would have been any number of games over the course of the season where, you know, something different happening might have changed it. You know, the draw against Southampton, the loss against Everton, the draw against Newcastle, the loss against City, any of those games could have changed the league season as well. So it'll be a bit unfair to look back on that moment itself. But nonetheless, you know, the game ends 2-2. It was a horrendous second half of football from an attacking point of view. A good half of football from a defensive point of view, though, you know, when you can see two goals the way we did, yeah, you you have to feel some way. Um, Ramsdale saved us the point, no doubt about it. I do, as I said, part of me at the time felt like Arteta threw in the towel a bit in terms of making a football contest. But then again, it could just simply be that he saw a loss coming um, and he thought, we might be able to sneak out of here with a win, but at the very least, we won't lose. And as the old saying goes, if you can't win, don't lose. Seeing City dismantle this Liverpool side and seeing how we struggled, um, it's that it's that kind of thing that makes me think that you know, live uh, that that City have the advantage when it comes to to winning the league just because of the quality they have. But then at the same time, Liverpool beat City at Anfield this season, um, and we are still. Top of the table, six points clear. They have a game in hand. They still have to play us. We still have to play them. And there's still any number of games. We have eight, they have nine um, games left this season where either team could drop points. So there is still a lot of football to play. The Liverpool game was never going to be the game that decided the title. But I think what the Liverpool game could have been is the game that would decide whether or not the City game would decide the title. And while I do believe that any team could drop any points against any team, it does look more and more like that City game is going to be the thing that that decides who wins the title. But in any case, that's it for me for part one. Join me for part two, where we'll just talk about some of the talking points from from that game. So be right back, people. Welcome back to part two of the Hybrid Club, people. Where ball is good. So just talking about the uh, fallout from the two-two draw. Um, at Anfield against Liverpool and yeah at the time there is there is a big difference between how I felt at the time after the game and how I feel now at the time I was just I don't want to say livid but it was just such a gut punch it was so gut-wrenching to think that we could have got three points kept the distance between us and Liverpool sorry us and City as eight points then with the game in hand you know you expect them to beat West Ham so that let's call it a five-point lead and we'd have Southampton and West Ham coming up, or rather West Ham and Southampton, before we play City. So even if we did lose to City, we'd have, you know, we'd still have an extra two points on them going into the final, you know, four, final, uh, four or five games of the season. So to think we don't get the three points and we now go into the City game, it just, it's annoying. It's frustrating because you just think about what could have been. But then, you know, the psychological damage of losing this game would have been absolutely cataclysmic. I cannot even emphasize that enough. If we'd have lost this game, I think that's one of the moments where these players start to doubt whether they can do it. I think a draw away against Liverpool is one of those results where they will look back and go, yeah, that's a good result, actually. Yeah, that's a good result. You know, Marino used to have this thing back when he was at Chelsea and he was, um, you know, hoovering up all the trophies during his time where he'd set out to win the home games against the top six and at the minimum take a point in the away games. In the away games against sort of the top four, whatever it was, 
don't lose would be his approach. Just don't lose. Because if you can beat them at your stadium and not lose away, and, you know, that means you just have to take care of business with the rest of the teams of the league, which you would be expected to do. So I think there is a degree to which, you know, not losing this game, I think, will be massively important to us. Um, it, it, it stings a bit to know that at this moment, in this time, we are currently better than this Liverpool side and we threw away a two-goal lead. So emotionally, it feels like a bad draw. But in reality, as I said, a point away to Liverpool is a good result. Um, especially when on the day, regardless of how form suggests we're better than them over the course of the season, on the day, they absolutely dismantled us. Um, now, as I said, they had their clear-cut chances. So this game could have been 3-2, 4-2 quite easily, particularly with those last two chances at the end. But, you know, it, it doesn't... It, you can't help it, right? When you're 2-0 up against Liverpool away and you're playing like the better team for the better part of 40 minutes, you're top of the table. You have been pretty much since October. Um you know, they're 30 points behind you, whatever it is, to end up throwing it away with an awful second half performance um, after watching this same side get battered 4 1 um, by your title rivals and see out a miserable, boring, depressing 0 0 draw midweek. It is gut wrenching. There's no way around it. So it's a good draw. It just feels like a disappointing draw. Um, but they set up for this game. You know, as we said, the game against City was at the Etihad and, you know, City just walked it. They tried against City, got molly Um, They threw the game against Chelsea and I'm not hearing anything different, quite frankly. For me, they threw that game when you see the rotation they made. Um, so they put all their eggs into this basket. This is the game. Very often, we are the scalp. I've said this before, before this season and before we started to show that we could be title challengers. When it came to sort of the quote-unquote top six, us and Spurs were always the team that other teams thought we can get something off them. We were always seen as the scout. We're sort of the big side that are get-at-able. Spurs, it frustrates me that we refer to a top six with Spurs in it, but they equally don't get the same scrutiny a quote-unquote big team gets. You know what I mean? They, the expectation for them to win isn't the same as it is with everyone else, but they still get called part of the top six but that's my little rant for another day in any case Spurs are get out of ball because they're Spursy but as for the big teams I always feel like we're the scalp that people feel that are get at ball but this season we've not been that team teams tried it early and they got dealt with and once teams saw us deal with others they started to respect us you remember there was that period early in 2023 early the start of this year where teams started to play the the deep block teams weren't coming out as much start of the season teams were coming at us and we were battering them and other teams saw that and thought oh yeah we can't do that against Arsenal no more we are now the scalp people see us we're going for our first title in nearly 20 years we've been playing excellent football we've been the best team in the league this season we're the scalp so Liverpool looked at their fixtures in a week where they had to play City Chelsea and Arsenal they said Arsenal's the game. They targeted us and they played like it too. Not for the first 40 minutes, but thereafter. Um, the one thing that does give me hope is that this team, unlike previous uh, players in who've played for Arsenal in recent years, this team has shown that it can learn. It's shown that it's got a high football IQ and it can learn from previous games and previous mistakes. This manager has shown his capacity to learn. So I feel like they're going to learn from this game and 
one of the things I think that it's possible for them, to, for them to learn from this game is how to manage the emotions of a game. I don't doubt this team's ability to to hold on defensively, but I think the manager needs to have more trust in the options available to him and the ways he can use them to better utilize that. And I think in part, some of the movement we might see in the transfer window in the coming summer is going to speak to him trying to build a more robust squad so that he can switch things up. Because let's face it, in this game, he's not bringing on Vieira for Odegaard. He's not doing that. It doesn't look like he has much trust in Smith Rowe um, at this stage. And again, probably not in a game of this intensity after Smith Rowe has been missing for this long. But some of the comments he's made about Smith Rowe needing to do more to get back in the side suggest it's not just about his fitness, it's more about his ability to contribute in these games. And I do think that he didn't bring him on because he just didn't think he could. Um, he didn't trust it. Obviously, he's not bringing on Real Waters. He's not bringing on Jorginho because our midfield gets bypassed at the best of times with, with Jorginho on the pitch. So he's not doing that in this game. So that leaves him with very few options. That leaves him with Kivior. That leaves him with... Um, ordinarily, would be Holding, but Holding's playing. Otherwise, you know, this would have been a game where Holding came on to shore up the defence. Um, but Holding's starting because we have no Saliba. So bring that leaves you Kivior. That leaves you Tierney. That leaves you Trossard. Um, and those are the free plays he brought on. And so he did what he could, and it was enough to get the point on the day. But it does show that either some of these players in this squad need to step up massively in the manager's estimation, or the manager needs to do some serious, serious buying in the summer to add top quality to this side so that, you know, I don't know, um, you can bring on... a. You know, we we know the names that are being being linked. You could bring on Declan Rice. You could bring on a Caicedo in these games, as well as your defender to shore up the the game. Because you know, it to to if you're going to lose a player like uh, like Erdegaard and you're going to bring on a defender, you want it to be so that defender locks the game up. And Kivio just isn't there yet, and it's understandable. He's not there in his progression yet, so it's not blaming him. But it's just where we are in the overall trajectory and story of this Arsenal side and this evolution under Arteta. So I'm not blaming him, but I do think it's a learning point. And he's human and he's a manager and he's a young manager, so he's got to learn. Um, but there is another universe where his uh, his approach for this game works and we get the three points and we're out and we're having a very different conversation. It's, it's fine margins. Um, and that's just where it is. Um, yeah, you know, obviously we spoke about Ramsdale before and he definitely saved our ass um, in this game. His game by numbers from Statman Dave, 40 touches, eight long balls completed, six shots faced, four saves, four saves from close range, two goals conceded, two massive saves and added time to rescue the point. That is um, a mentality monster if ever there was one. Now... We're in that position, of course, because we're giving up those chances. And in large part, it's because our midfield got monstered um, in that second half. It was non-existent. And in part, that was just because we, as I said, towards the end of the second half, gave up the chase entirely and just, you know, sank back into our box and hoped to be able to keep them out. But, you know, the moment that Tiago came on the pitch, just some of his passing was ridiculous. Um, some of his technical play was ridiculous. There was that one moment of brilliant skill from Jesus where he sort of flicks the ball over Tiago and then, you know, plays the no-look pass, which is brilliant. But honestly, Tiago really made a massive difference 
um, to their ability to bypass a midfield. But as I said, I think it was a no contest because our midfield decided that their job was to help protect the defensive line and defect, uh, protect the passing lanes into and behind our defenders. So yeah, in the second half, they were MIA, but you know, they did, they did enough so that we didn't lose, but it, yeah, it was just one of those things where Liverpool on the day were so much better than us. They just, they just really were. Um, I have you have to give it to players like Martinelli, like Holding, like Ramsdale, like Jesus, um, all of them brilliant on the day. But I do think this squad, because let's not forget, right? Even if we go back to last season, seems before that, this squad coming to this stadium would get brutalized, would just get absolutely annihilated. And while they took us apart in this game, it wasn't in the same way. As I said, other than those last chances, um, in the second half, particularly after the Kivio substitution, um, up until that point, while Liverpool dominated, they didn't necessarily have the chances. Their XG skyrocketed with those two um, big chances at the end of the game, as well as a couple of the others created. But, you know, it was towards right at the end of the game where they got their big chances to score against us. Before that, you know, they had the ball, they're all over us, but they weren't necessarily getting clear-cut chances. But, you know, what we can say... And this is just another way of looking at it is if you, if Liverpool get, you know, a penalty and two clear cut chances at the end of a game and you still come out of there with a point, you've been very, very fortunate to take the point and get the hell out of there, which is, I think, what we did. Um, and we have to remember, look, Man City lost here. United held seven here. Liverpool are a very, very good side. It's not that they're bad. It's just they've massively lost confidence in season this season. And it's still and it's clear now if it wasn't clear before, that they can still hit the heights that they've had previously um, if they can get themselves up for a match. And they were up for this match. Um, and unfortunately, we were the side they were up to play. It's just what it is. Look, we're in April. There's eight games left. And we're in a title race. I've said it before, but I really do love this team. I really, really, really do love this team. Um, and it's still in our hands. You know, as I said, we've got the eight games. We win... Seven out of eight games, we could still do it, particularly if one of those games is against City. Um, you know, it's, it's in City's hands as well. You know, if they win all of their games, they win the league. And if they win all of their remaining games, credit to them, they deserve to win the league. Um, if we match our results in the last eight, in the next eight games to what we did in the last eight games with, you know, one of our seven wins coming in against City, then we win the league. So, it's not over, not by a long shot. Um, I do worry about the away game to um, Newcastle. I'm a little less worried about the game against Brighton, not because they're not a brilliant team, they're a sensational team. But my hope is that by the time we play Brighton, the top four's pretty much been decided. And so they won't have anything to play for because they'll already be in the Europa League or the Europa Conference League. That's my hope, wishful thinking. Um, but then again, you know, we talk about Brighton being a brilliant team and a difficult place to go. City, you have to play them away. But same situation, right? It might be the, the European places are decided by that point and Brighton have nothing to play for and City play them off the park. This is why, you know, it's really going to be the next four or five games that probably go a long way to, to deciding it because a lot of the teams we play after that, their fates will probably be decided by that point. 
you never know about down at the bottom of the table, but the way Leicester are losing games, the way Southampton are losing games, if that carries on, two of the three relegation places will be decided by the time we get to the last couple of games of the season. And so, you know, we really want it to be that Wolves and Forest are safe by the time we play them so that they'll be on the beach. Um, and yeah, you'll, you'll want Brighton and Brentford to still have a little bit to play for so they go, you know, um, all out against City. That's that's what you want, really. But all of this is just, you know, the mental gymnastics of being a football fan, trying to figure out how we can do the unexpected. Um, and this is why I talk about, you know, the fact that everyone's looking at the City game as being the decider. But let's face it, no one expected us to drop points to Southampton. We did. No one expected City to drop points against Forest. They did. There are so many twists and turns that can still decide how this title is going to go. We can't just assume that we'll win every game, they'll win every game, and it comes down to see. This game could be won and lost in any of the remaining fixtures. All things being equal, though, it starts to look more and more like that City game is where it's going to be won and lost. But like I said, so much can happen in this league. You know, free kicks, red cards, penalties, you know, dodgy decisions, injuries. So much can happen. It can be decided in any situation. Um, City would have to go on a 14-game unbeaten run. Um to win every single game from drawing Forest to the end of the season. If they do that, they'll be champions and they'll deserve it. Um, but I had a look back, um, and other than in one season, in each of their last five seasons, they've dropped points in at least two of their last 10 Premier League games. So with eight games to go, you know, it... it Look, I'm as you'll know, I'm not a huge fan of the past predicting what will happen in the future, but it does show how hard it is for a team to win all of their last 10 games. And we're talking about a team that has been the best team in the league um, in that time period, and they still dropped points in their last 10 games. We've dropped points at Anfield today, we'll probably, which most teams do, we'll probably drop points again at some point in the final um, eight games. Um the question is, will City drop points in any of their remaining nine games? And as I said, while I'm not a huge fan of history being a predictor of what will happen, what it does tell you is that it's very difficult for a team to win 10 games on a bounce at the end of the season. So it's in our hands as much as it's in their hands. And if you'd have told me in August 2022 that we would be within eight games of winning a Premier League, I would have done horrible, unspeakable, Speakable things to make that happen. And here we are. We are good enough. The question is, can we do it? We have the quality to be champions. Do we have the temperament? And that remains to be seen. In any case, people, that's it from me. Uh, this has been an episode of the Highbury Club. Uh, you know where to find us on the socials at the Highbury Club, and you know where to find me at C Says, C E A S E S A Y S. I am fucking delighted the Liverpool game is over. I want to put it behind us, and let's never talk about it again. On to West Ham next weekend. Glad to see that uh, Moyes didn't lose his job after they managed to pick up points against Fulham. Now they can go back to being rubbish, if you don't mind. Please, West Ham, go back to being rubbish. Let's see the boys go out there, pick up um, three points against West Ham, and then kick on in the rest of the season. Um, thank you very much for listening. Please do like and su- uh, subscribe, leave positive reviews where you can. Um, all helps, you know, all that good shit that um, you can so kindly do to support the channel. Appreciate all the listeners. Do get in contact if there's anything you want us to talk about. Um, but yeah, 
as I said, enjoy the rest of, uh, for those people um, observing Easter in the bank holiday, enjoy, celebrate by all means. Um, for those observing Ramadan, um, hope it goes well. Honestly, more than anything, I just hope we all survive this running, really, because it's, it's going to be a tense one. So, you know, keep your head, don't lose it. On to the next one, one game at a time, three points at a time, get behind the boys, let's do this. Anyway, people, speak to you in a bit, in a bit.